Let's pray and ask God to speak to us, and we'll, we'll also pray for those families. God, thank you this morning that you meet us in all of our emotions, in all of our spots, and that some of us are on top of the world, and some of us are just barely hanging on. We thank you that it is not the level or condition of our faith today that makes us right with you, God. It's, it's the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, and what he has done. God, I pray that you'd be with the Harju family in this hard week. I pray that you'd be with Julie and Peter and Andrew and their daughter as they, as they are in shock and grieving the sudden passing of Ralph. And Lord, I pray that all of us would quiet all of the distractions right now and focus in to hear from you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to all of us today? Would you speak through me or in spite of me, but would you speak I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you talk to most people, most people would admit that 2020 and 2021 were not their best years. Uh, we had a lot of curveballs thrown at us, and so the question I just kind of want to start with today is, how is 2022 going to be any different? How can we be happy and flourish regardless of the circumstances? I want to share with you a secret and the secret is found in a tree. And, and this tree flourishes no matter the conditions, no matter the weather, no matter the amount of rain. And the reason that this tree flourishes is because of its location. It's planted right next to a stream of water. It has an unlimited source of water at its disposal to bring nourishment and survive even the harshest of drought or the, the beating sun. There's a kind of man and a kind of woman that is just like this tree, Regardless of the circumstances that they face in life, they always seem to flourish. And not because everything goes swimmingly for them, but they actually seem to flourish even in the midst of adversity and heartache. Why? Because that person that flourishes is rooted in the truth and promises of God's word like the tree is by the streams of water. They delight in the Word of God and meditate on it or think on it day and night. They, when they wake up and when they go to sleep, they mutter it to themselves as they go throughout their day, thinking on it, pondering its meaning, applying its wisdom to their life. Let me show you that person in Psalm 1. In the, in the next two weeks, I'm going to be preaching Psalm 1 today, and Pastor Mike will be preaching Psalm 2 next week, and it's just a small little mini-series service to start the year called The Good Life. And, and Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 kind of shape and frame the book of Psalms, which is the prayer and worship book of God's people. And Psalm 1 talks about our relationship to God's Word, and Psalm 2 talks about our relationship to God's King. And in it, the way that we respond to God's word and the way that we respond to God's king determines whether or not we live a blessed, happy, flourishing life or not. So Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the, 
of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. So this psalm was written well before there was any such thing as digital media for us to consume. In fact, most of the common men and women didn't even own a Bible or a scroll. They simply heard the Word of God read weekly. But it does make something abundantly clear to us about the key to happiness. What we consume, what we're influenced by, what we regularly think about has a huge impact on whether or not we flourish in everyday life. It matters more than we can imagine what we are constantly putting in to our minds and what we are thinking of. It matters who we hang with and who influences us. And this psalm sets up a marked contrast between two different kinds of people, two men or two women. Blessed is the man, happy is the man, flourishing is the man who is not influenced by one thing but is influenced by another. Verse 1 tells us of a man heavily influenced by other sinners. He walks in the counsel of the wicked, we're told, stands in the way of sinners, and sits in the seat of scoffers or mockers. But verse 2 tells us of a man who delights in the law or the instruction of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. One of these men flourishes like a tree planted by the stream. The other blows away like chaff the outer husk on the head of a grain of wheat, something that is so weightless and unsubstantial that the wind blows it away. It's utterly worthless. Happy is the man. Flourishing is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. There is a progression here from walking to sanding to sitting, getting more and more enmeshed in the way of sin. Until finally, they become like the mockers and scoffers, scoffing at the ways of the Lord and the truth of God, speaking with derision about the things that God speaks are good. See, these three phrases, even though they're a progression, are three different ways of saying the same thing. When those who are wicked, sinners, and scoffers have an increasing influence on somebody, that person is less and less happy, less and less joyful. They flourish less. Contrary to what many think, it is not the good life that they embrace, but they rather find life to be diminishing returns. They're like the chaff, the outer husk of a grain of wheat that is worse than worthless. Not even a good source of fuel for the fire. It lacks any substance whatsoever. It just blows away. You can't even burn it. Tossed around by the wind. Do you guys know that who you hang out with influences you a ton. Who you call friends and who you receive counsel from matters. I know all of us as teenagers like to deny this reality. I'm my own person. I influence other people more than they influence me. Teenagers, you need to hear the wisdom being dispelled here by the psalmist in Psalm 1. Who who your friends are influence you and you often become a lot like them. You say, I'm my own person, I influence others, but meanwhile, your demeanor and your attitude changes a little bit every day. You take on their sarcastic tone, their subtle defiance, and their disrespectful attitude towards those older than them. Your fashion choices begin to change, and in pursuing your individuality, you look just like everybody else. 
Who you let speak into your life and who you hang with makes a huge difference in who you are. Now, teens, guess what? Your parents need to hear this too. Because this is not just for those in their teenage years. This is every bit as much true for adults who our friends are, who we take counsel from, who we hang out with more than anybody else has a huge impact on our attitude, on our demeanor, on our outlook on life. Who we work with day in and day out begins to shape our thoughts and our thinking, impacting our attitude more than we want to admit. Now, this isn't a charge from God's word to say any relationship that isn't godly or that they don't love God, you need to cut off that relationship in your life. It's not saying that at all. But rather, the psalmist just kind of provoking you with wisdom, saying the people that you kick it with, the things that influence you, the inputs that you have affect you more than you would like to admit. Hmm. This doesn't just apply to the people that I hang around, but also the things that I consume and take in. The news sites that I visit shape and form me. The stories that I read on the internet, the movies and shows that I watch, the songs that I listen to and sing, all have a way of shaping me, catechizing me, as it were, for good or for bad. But the idea that I can watch this and it doesn't affect me, or I can listen to that and it doesn't affect me, or I can listen to this particular news station that is slanted clearly in one direction over and over again and not begin to change my thinking that direction is simply naive. The things we consume and the people that we hang with impact us more than we want to admit. On the flip side... There stands a man or a woman who is happy, blessed, thriving. Regardless of their life circumstances, they take it in stride. What influences them the most? God's word, his law, his instruction. They delight in it, and on it they meditate day and night. Now when the psalmist speaks of the law of the Lord or the law of God, It means literally the instruction of God, not limiting exclusively to the Torah or the first five books of the Bible, but instead the entire revelation and instruction from Yahweh to his people, the historical books, the writings, the prophets, even as New Testament followers of Jesus, as we ponder what he's getting at, the heart here is the revelation of God, including the New Testament as well, shapes and forms the happy, flourishing person. He delights in God's instruction, meaning that the happy person sees God's commandments not as limiting or binding, but rather the truth that sets ones free. One of the biggest lies that our enemy dupes us into believing is that when God tells us not to do something, he does so because he hates it when we have fun. Or when God tells us to do something, it's like a parent forcing their toddler to eat their vegetables. It's good for us, but we don't like it. No, God's commandments, when rightly understood, are actually meant to set us free, to make us genuinely happy. And who better to instruct us than the one who designed us, made us, wants us to flourish. See, God created the world and everything in it, including you and me. And contrary to what Satan would have us believe, his first commandment was not a prohibition at all, but an invitation. Do you know that? 
In Genesis 2, the very first commandment of God is this, freely eat. Freely eat of everything that I have made for you. Enjoy. It is very good. But there's one tree that's not very good for you. In fact, if you eat of the fruit of that particular tree, the day that you eat it, you'll die. You'll change. You'll know good and evil. He doesn't tell him all of that, but he says, no, this is not for you. This is not good for you. Which makes us wonder, doesn't it? Why did God create that tree? Oh, why did God create that tree? We could still be just happily experiencing unhindered fellowship with God and one another and this world wouldn't be broken and tainted by sin. Why? Well, my short answer is this. So that you would be free to choose him and so that you would learn to relate to God by faith in his word and his commandments. Believing, as the writer of Hebrews so eloquently states, that God exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Or that God is there and that God is good. He's not stingy, as the enemy would have you believe. But if God is there and he is good and he says something is bad for us, then we have a a choice to make, don't we? We get to determine, do I put my faith and my trust in his word that that indeed is bad for me? Or do I reach outside thinking that he's stingy? that he's somehow withholding something good for me, that if I really want to have fun, I need to take it and latch onto it. No, faith is actually believing that God is good and a rewarder of those who seek him. That God is good and benevolent and that he actually invites you to experience the good life. One who delights in the instruction and the revelation of God is simply living by faith in his word, Believing it and believing that by listening to it and following it, you're actually living the good life. Now, it's interesting that he says his delight is in the law of the Lord. The word delight is an interesting one, isn't it? You can't fake delight. You can, but no one buys it. Delight is something that naturally springs forth when we see something good and beautiful and worthy to delight in. It's not just, oh, I'm going to eat my vegetables because I know they're good for me. It's, wow, God has told me the way in which to thrive, the way in which to live. I delight in his instruction because I want to get every little drop of good out of this life. And not the bad. Happy is the man who delights in the law or the instruction of the Lord. And then the second part. And on it, he meditates day and night. Often when we, hear, when we hear the word meditate, we immediately get a little skeptical. Our mind goes to the recent influence of Eastern meditation and Eastern religions like Buddhism and their focus in on meditation, and we get a little wary, as we should, because the Buddhist form of meditation and the meditation spoken of in Psalm 1 couldn't be more different from one another. Buddhist meditation is all about emptying your mind of everything, all distractions, all desires, all thoughts. Simply be and be open. But when we're open like that, all kinds of crazy things can influence us and and, and get in our minds, right? See, Buddhism believes that that the, the problem with the world is unmet desire, that we have these desires that we can't fully fulfill. And so the answer or the solution to that is to simply get rid of all of our desires, to empty of ourselves, of all of our longings, so that we're never disappointed. What a letdown that would be. 
Whereas Christianity says, no, you have desires, but they're broken. But, but God has given you desires, and they can only be met. They can only be fully satisfied in him rather than the things that you continually pursue. So stop pursuing those and trust in him and find your satisfaction in him, and the delight will exponentially increase. The kind of meditation being talked about here in Psalm 1 is to meditate on the law of God, meaning to to fill our minds with God's word, to fill our minds with thoughts and, and, and ponderings of what God's word means in our life, constantly thinking about it and reflecting on its meaning and truth for our lives, literally to mutter it to ourselves as we go throughout the day. The happy woman is like a tree planted by the stream with a constant source of fresh water at her disposal, able to weather any drought or storm because flowing through her roots are are a constant sort of nourishment, nourishment that comes from the truth and the promises of God's word and his instructions for life. So how can I be happy in 2022? How can it go better than the last few years? Well, I can take this psalm to heart and begin filling my mind with thoughts of God's word. I can fill my mind with God's word and think about it day and night and find my heart beginning to delight in that rather than filling my mind with other things. Some of you guys are like, awesome, this is so cliche on a New Year's sermon. This is my yearly guilting from my pastor that I should read the Bible more. Now he's going to launch into a church-wide Bible reading plan where we set goals for the year because that's what we're supposed to do. You are right. (laughs) And you're wrong. I mean, yes, you should read your Bible more. If you actually believe that that God's word and instruction is the key to your happiness and that by thinking on it day and night, you can be like a tree planted by streams of water that can flourish in any season and circumstance, then by all means, yes. But I want to make one thing abundantly clear. Guilt is a terrible long-term motivator. Any, Any amens for that? Now, guilt is a great short-term changer of behavior. It is a great short-term motivator, but it is pretty powerless to change your actual long-term desires and behavior. For that kind of change to occur, you have to be completely convinced that something is essential for your happiness and that whatever else you're pursuing is actually what keeps you from being happy and fulfilled. This is why most diets don't work. Why most New Year's resolutions fall flat on their face. I mean, how many in this room made a resolution that you've already broken? You don't have to show your hands. We're in northern Minnesota. It's okay. But probably a lot of us are like, I didn't even make it a day and a half. Take dieting and getting healthier, for example. It is not until the pleasure and the power of food is overcome by a greater pleasure of being healthy and living active filled with energy that you will actually make long-lasting changes to your diet and lifestyle. It's only when you're utterly convinced that restraining your temporary joy in food will lead to a greater joy down the road that you'll actually make changes over the long haul. Everything else is just temporary. You can ignore that yummy food for a while, but deep down, if you believe that that food and lots of it is what makes you happy, you will always relapse. 
Trust me, I know. This is the pot calling the kettle black. In the same way, it is not until you realize that feasting on God's word and letting it set the framework for your life is the key to flourishing regardless of the season that you will make any kind of substantial change to actually do that. You have to believe that. But here's the hard truth. When, it thinks about, when we think about what is actually influencing us, like filling our mind with God's word is not actually a, a lack of time issue. See, the thing is, we always make time for what is most important to us. We make time for what we think is fun and meaningful, most compelling. Do you know the average amount of time that, that Americans spend consuming digital media on various devices? The amount of screen time that we have each day? Everyone's cringing now, but according to a study done by Forbes that John Koyster published an article on, the average amount of time is six hours and 59 minutes that we consume digital media on phone, TV, and other forms of digital media. That's the average. We're cringing now, right? Surely not me. Or, oh, those are all work meetings on Zoom. we can lie to ourselves. We're actually really good at that. That's why we have such a problem, isn't it? See, if that's the case, we still, many of us actually believe that I don't have time to fill my mind with the Word of God. But seven hours a day, and that's average, there's outliers there. That means over 2,500 hours in a year is being consumed by digital media. Now, Every social media platform seems to be booming. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, all going strong. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Peacock, Disney Plus, all booming. Podcasts springing up every single day. (laughs) Seven hours a day, and we still try to convince everyone how busy we are. And maybe we are busy, but maybe the things that we turn to for leisure rarely give us the rest we desire and require. If you were to read through the entire Bible out loud or listen to an audio Bible at regular speed, it would take you 70 hours and 40 minutes to get through the entire Bible. Meaning that if you spent just an average of 12 minutes a day, you could read through the entire Bible in a year. Seven hours a day on media, 12 minutes a day we could get through the entire revelation of God to us. If you took that seven hours a day and did something radical for a short while and used that to read or to listen to the scriptures, did you know that you could read through the entire Bible in just under, or just over 10 days? 10 days! By like doing like a 10-day media fast or screen fast and just spending that time in God's Word, you could actually get through the whole Bible Tell me that won't change you. If you were to take the amount of time that you were on screens for the year, you could read through the Bible just over 36 times. Now, to be honest, that's probably not very realistic for most of us. But what if you scaled back your screen and media consumption, your podcast listening, just a little bit, and maybe read the Bible for an hour a day or listened to the Bible for an hour a day? You could get through the entire Bible in just over two months. The whole thing. One of the most profoundly shaping semesters of my life was my freshman year first semester. 
for a variety of reasons. But I took an Old Testament survey class. I went to a Bible college. And simply reading through the Old Testament during that semester was life-changing. Guys, I used to think that God was like this big ball of love in the sky that never gave commands, just suggestions. He was kind of grandfatherly in that way. He was my co-pilot, just kind of blessed whatever it is I did and maybe gave me some advice that I could either take or ignore. Kind of like a cosmic vending machine that if you hit with the right kind of prayer, blessings fall. Let me just say, if you read through the Old Testament, you don't think that about God anymore. You can't because he's revealed himself to not be that. Oh, he is love, but he is holy and he is just and he is kind, and he is wrathful, and he is all of these things that blew my mind and made me realize that God is unbelievable and awe-inspiring to worship. An hour a day, just over two months. But of course, simply reading the Bible doesn't produce a happy and flourishing life. It's one that delights in it and one that thinks on it throughout the day. So what about a more manageable plan, maybe? What if you invested 30 minutes a day in growing in your walk with the Lord? What if you spent 15 minutes a day reading the Bible? That way, if you miss a few days, you can still catch up and stay on, on track. Five minutes a day thinking about what you just read and how it might apply to your life and what you might learn about God. And then 10 minutes a day in prayer, praying that you would know more of him and praying for the people in your life that are near and dear to you. 30 minutes a day like that could actually change so many of your lives. And don't tell me you don't have time for it. The reality is we make time for what is most important to us. Case in point, most of us, many of us, will probably watch a football game tonight, even though the Vikings have very little hope at all of winning. Even though I'll hear mercilessly from half of my house how lame the Vikings are, I'll probably still watch it. And that's over three hours. In 2022, I really want you to dive in and learn about God and his word. And so actually in two weeks, we're going to be starting a new sermon series called The Thread. It's going to be a 66-week sermon series through every book of the Bible. But rather than doing a Bible overview each week, which would be pretty overwhelming. We're just going to pick one or two chapters from each book in the Bible and let it shape and guide us. Here's something. If you want to do something in community that might actually be really encouraging to you, what would it look like if on the week before you read that entire book of the Bible leading up to that particular sermon? I know that our city groups are going to gather together and they're probably going to watch the read scripture videos that give like an overview of it the, the week before so that they can kind of see what God is doing in that time and place so that we can better hear and understand the word when it's delivered on Sunday. But what would it look like if you just kind of tracked? Some weeks, that would be pretty overwhelming. Genesis has 50 chapters. Ezekiel is a lot of weird prophecy. Jeremiah is a lot of depressing things that happen. Second Chronicles, what's even in there? Do you know? You could find out. And then other weeks are going to be really short. Like one chapter. Nahum. Obadiah. Zephaniah. 
There are incredible things about God and his relationship to his people that we learn from each of those books. And you could either catch up that week or read slowly and have plenty of time to think and ponder and reflect. Here's what I can tell you for sure in 2022. I don't know if the world is going to stop being crazy or not. Probably it won't be. (laughs) Um, But here's how you can thrive no matter what comes your way. Be someone who delights in the word of God and meditates on it night and day. Fill your mind with God's thoughts and insights, not hot takes or conspiracy theories. You know something? The longer that I walk with Jesus, the longer that I live life, the more I realize we are far less a product of our circumstances and far more a product of how we respond to or interpret our circumstances. Case in point, Why is it that often the exact same event in two different people's lives produce completely opposite responses? Why is it that for one person, a cancer diagnosis becomes the point at which they turn away from God, thinking that God has abandoned them, forgotten them, and he is not good? Well, for another person with the exact same diagnosis, it becomes the exact moment that they lean into the relationship with God, and it becomes real and sweet to them for perhaps the first time in their life. Why is it that the same event, the same suffering for one person draws them to the Lord and others repels them from the Lord? I think it has everything to do with what we are consistently filling our minds with, what captivates our thought life, what shapes our attitude. Can I give you a real, very real example? Just over a week ago when I was visiting with Rocky Harju in the hospital, And his wife had just died. His wife of 50 years, and we were weeping together. He was heartbroken, but he was praising God. Heartbroken, but praising God. That's my last memory of him. Now, how did he get to that spot? How did he get to that place? Because year after year, he had delighted in the word of God. He had meditated on it day and night. Not perfectly. If you knew him, he wasn't a perfect man, but faithfully, shaped by and delighting in the word of God so that in that heart-wrenching moment, he was heartbroken and yet filled with praises of his Savior. Are you a person who delights in the revelation of God, who thinks on it and ponders it all the time? Or are you one who is listens quite a bit to the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of mockers and scoffers, shaped by media and music and internet stories and this and that and cable news more than you are God. See, when the winds of life and the trials come, one person will be tossed to and fro while the other remains rooted, solid, thriving, If 2020 and 2021 taught us anything, it's that the world is completely unpredictable. Rarely will things turn out the way that we thought that they would, but that actually doesn't determine our happiness or our blessedness or whether or not we thrive or not. One more thing. The majority of this passage appeals to you on the basis of your own happiness. Do you want to be a rooted person or one tossed and blown all over? But I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't also share with you the warning found in verses 5 and 6, which is this. We can't fool God. Nothing that we do escapes the Lord, including our thoughts. 
which is terrifying, isn't it? The psalmist ends his reflection on how we relate to the word of God and what influences us with this warning. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, not only is the wicked person easily influenced and tossed and blown away, also we see that the Lord sees and knows their way and will bring certain judgment on their life. They will not stand in the congregation of the righteous or be known by the Lord, but they will perish. Now, on the one hand, that is terrifying news for all of us. I mean, as we've seen, none of us have perfectly delighted in the word of God. None of us have responded in faith to every, every piece of his instruction. Most of us, if we're honest, are far more shaped by media and things that we consume and people that we hang with than we are God's word. So what hope do we have? None. If our hope is based upon our own performance. But the good news of God's word that we see shaping the entire scriptures is that it is not based upon our performance. Because there was only one who could come and actually stand in the congregation of the righteous. Only one person who has ever lived perfectly and consistently being shaped by God's word because he was the word. Only one person who has ever meditated on it day and night without fail, being fully shaped by and perfectly delighting in God's instruction. And that person, Jesus Christ, was rejected and crucified by us. But the good news of the Bible is that that he didn't suffer and die for his own sin. No, he was crushed for ours. He came and in our place perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirements of God's law. So that through faith in him, we might be accepted on the basis and merit of what he has done. Rather than our own performance. Guys, we call that good news. Romans 3 reminds us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified or declared righteous in God's sight. By his grace as a gift. Through or received through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We receive this gift of salvation by believing in what Jesus has done for us, by trusting in him, by putting our faith in him, not our own performance. Now, Christians get this. This is very foundational to our faith. It's good news. It's the gospel that we believe and we fight to believe and live like it's true. But often, for those who, often among those who believe that, for fear of falling into a new kind of legalism, We go off on the other side and we fail to discipline ourselves to be shaped and formed by the very same instruction that shaped and formed Jesus. We stop meditating on what God has revealed to us about the good life and allow our imaginations to be captivated by other things, lesser things, believing that happiness is actually found there. And so when the trials of life come, we find that we are more shaped by truths and stories that are contrary to God's word leading us to be miserable and blown here and there rather than a sense of rootedness that allows us to thrive no matter what in God's goodness. So my appeal to you today is not, eat your vegetables, it's good for you. Read the Bible more. That won't make any kind of lasting change in your mind. My appeal is this. Become a man or woman who delights in God's word and meditates on it day and night then you will have the kind of nourishment and truth to help you interpret all that life throws at you. Let's pray. 
God, thank you for your word and how it shapes us and forms us. Help us to be a people who delight in your word and think about it constantly. Help us to be a people that are more shaped by your word and truth and promises than we are by the latest movie we saw or news story we heard. And so God, even in a broken world where we grieve, help us to grieve as those who have hope in one who has come and who has overcome. Jesus, would you open our eyes and our hearts to delight in your instruction, all of it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.